The Pro Wrestling Stories Podcast. Welcome to the Pro Wrestling Stories Podcast, where we transport you to nostalgic moments. I feel like Casey Kasem, a nostalgic moments of wrestling's past. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you get them. And follow Pro Wrestling Stories on Facebook at Pro Wrestling Stories and on Twitter at PWS underscore official. And also, Corey, if you're looking to add to your t-shirt collection, stop by PWSTs.com. That is PWSTs.com. All the t-shirts are on there. As an exclusive to our listeners, to you, take an additional 10% off your order using promo code podcast oh my gosh well today i'm not wearing a shirt at all 10 not even 10 percent of a shirt today i'm just wearing a pair of skin tight pants (laughs) with a picture of our editor jp zarka on them drenched in margarine and playing with little race cars okay so that does tie into the episode for today but i'm a little disturbed for the record yeah and I'm well, glad that we're not picture in picture looking at this, by the way, too. If I had to, I'd say, this is a little bit distracting. Now we could sell these pants if there's a demand for them. Oh, God. It looks great. Oh, yeah. Get him signed. I'm Chris Toplack. He's Corey Rivard. When it comes to the combination of ring ability, or in-ring skills, mm. I should say, character, physique, Along with the overall look, microphone skills, and if factor, you name it, Rick Rude seemed to have it all. You love to hate him, yet you couldn't help but acknowledge his greatness. Corey, what are some of your first memories of Rick Rude? It's honestly those pants, just the fact that <laughs> they were different every time, which kept it exciting. And to, to the balls to get your enemy's loved ones put on your pants as a as a fighting technique and tactic is just brilliant and i don't understand why it's not used now that, uh, that could that could be used today true, true but actually somebody that utilized it recently was the velveteen dream he did that with Ooh. roderick stong's wife on there marina shafir and of course well, that made that, him quite angry quite heated as you can imagine too on. yeah he even Absolutely. had uh, their child on there i thought okay that's taking oh. it to the extreme oh wow yeah we've hit another level here okay okay just include yeah, your entire right. family on there. That's my grandma. That's my grandpa. Yeah. My uncle. My <laughs> uncle Steve. What are you doing? My puppy. <laughs> so naturally, the topic for today focuses on the life and career of Rick Rude. He played hard in the ring, but even harder out of it. This is his story. If you want to follow along with us, it's Rick Rude, more than ravishing author, Cy Powell, editor, JP Zarka, who sits on mm. your tights, apparently. You can follow he's Cy. Wave, he's waving at me right now. Oh, boy. I, again, I'm glad that I'm not seeing this either in person or via the magic of Skype. You can follow Cy on Twitter at SJP Words. Professional wrestling used to have a very simple formula. Of course, it's changed dramatically since then. It was good versus evil, liked against hated, hero battling villain. In modern times, though, these lines have been somewhat blurred. Of course, we discussed that with Brian Pillman and many other examples, but with the emergence in 1996 of the NWO, primarily a group of villains, yet they were cheered in some circles as fan favorites, a whole new gray area emerged in the simplistic world of light and dark wrestling personas. But one of the true greats of garnering a real heated response from the paying public was, of course, 
ravishing Rick Rude. Why? In my humble opinion, because he did not try to get cheered. That is the true art of a fantastic heel. Would you agree? His, his cheers were the booze, buddy. He got off of that. He got off on the fawning ladies, and uh, that's what he needed, and that's what he got. Exactly. Chris Jericho used to famously say, I don't want a t-shirt printed. I'm a heel. Who's going to buy my merchandise? Don't <laughs> buy my stuff. Of course, it's different now. He's a top seller on Pro Wrestling Tees. But back in WWE days, he was saying, I don't need merchandise. And very similar to Rick Rude, of course, he wants the you know the downside guarantee and he'd make some good pay-per-view paychecks. But at the same time, he doesn't want people cheering him because that means he's doing a bad job. He's not the evil villain, of course, that we're supposed to be booing every week. Of course. And I, I think as a kid, actually, I bought more... Uh more heel merch than baby <laughs> face merch with that that's that was just me that is true uh, I, I would i would be cheering mr perfect as well too and, and people would yeah. be wondering why do you love perfect and bret hart i'm like well they're technical wizards first and foremost but <laughs> i guess that was besides the point yeah that's fair all right well let's get into it uh rick rude's early life and wrestling beginnings he was born richard Irwin rude you should have gone by Irwin rude don't you think <laughs> irs yeah, yeah. Uh, on December 7th, 1958, Rude attended Robbinsdale High School in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. This area became somewhat of a hotbed for athletes turned professional wrestlers as Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, Tom Zeg, Nikita Koloff, and the WWF's Berserker all emerged from this region at a similar time. Oh, the Berserker. Do you remember close. him? Oh. Of course I do. Rough gimmick. I love the... Huh, huh, right? Uh, he was... He's in that new... Uh, documentary too that they have uh, on the network did you see that i have not no no he's 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 working for them in some capacity um anyways he was especially close friends with kurt hennig being trained with some of these names by eddie sharkey after leaving college rude began working matches in 1982 as ricky rude a babyface jobber like many of his counterparts he bounced around the territories before finding a more regular home in cwf uh championship wrestling in florida in december 1984 Ooh. Ooh, in CWF, Rude was managed by Percy Pringle III, who later played the role of Paul Bearer in the WWF. Oh, yes. I was hoping you would do that. <laughs> yes. Good. Uh, over the span of three years and feuding with the likes of Pez Watley, Brian Blair, Wahoo McDaniel, Rude captured the NWA Florida Southern Heavyweight Championship twice. Uh, here in Florida is where he honed his craft before moving on to the Texas-based promotion World Class Championship Wrestling. While working for Fritz Von Erich and WCCW, Pringle came along as his manager as Rude had high-profile contests with the hugely popular Von Erich Brothers. Ooh. Title runs, including an NWA American title reign, added more to Rude's stock before he ventured back to Jim Crockett promotions where he had worked sporadically throughout the decade. However, like many stars of the regional promotions at the time, Rick Rude caught the attention of Vince McMahon, who was rapidly adding to his ever-expanding roster in the WWF. And that's a great signing, by the way, too. I mean, just from the visual, you could look at him and say, okay, this guy could make me a lot of money either as a babyface or a heel. And it's also worth noting that AWA was based out of Minnesota for over 30 years, and it not only produced the wrestlers you listed earlier, but also Jesse Ventura, Bob Backlund, Sean Waltman, Jerry Lynn, Scott Norton, Molly Holly, among many others, plus Brock Lesnar and Shelton Benjamin also attended the University of Minnesota together. That's quite a collection of wrestlers. Better believe it. And I'm, I, I hail from uh, the great Winnipeg, Manitoba, so we were kind of part of the 
we were part of that territory. So it has a special place in my heart. Um, and we'd get, uh, I remember we'd get, uh, uh, mad dog Vashon at our, at our pancake breakfast at our high, at my uh, elementary school. And that really? was highlight of the year. Yeah. He'd come down with, if you <laughs> ever heard of pup, puppy dog Pelican, he would come down to you and yeah, we get, we get a uh, little, uh, little, uh, offshoot days where we get AWA would just invade our elementary school. And those were highlights of my childhood. No kidding. That sounds incredible. I had nothing. Of the sort. I did not have like the missing link showing up serving me grilled cheeses. That never happened. <laughs> the Vachons in Winnipeg go way back. Oh my goodness. Or Corey Rivard and the Vachons are oh, always been tight. I, I hope you have some home videos of that. That would bring me such joy to see that. Me too. And I uh, don't count on it, unfortunately. The Vachons stop by Corey Rivard's birthday party as they make some <laughs> balloon animals and they generally have a great time. So let's get to Rick Rude. In the WWF, this, of course, is what is very familiar to both of us. He debuted during a 1987 episode of WWF Superstars that saw him align with the great villainous Bobby the Brain Heenan to be paired with Bobby. Mm. It was a big deal back then, of course, to be part of the infamous Heenan family. He was a part of that. He was a crowning jewel when you think about that. So Rick Rude would soon enter into a series of matches with Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, a former Heenan family member himself before settling into a heated rivalry with Jake the Snake Roberts. And by this stage in his career, Rude had really developed a little side act. His performance, if you recall, referring to as the Rude Awakening, ravishing Rick would invite ladies from the audience into the ring for a little smooch, a little kiss, and these women would normally comply as Rude would declare himself better than every other male in attendance. And of course, are you going to debate that? Naturally, this gained <laughs> Rude much hatred, you would imagine. And this added to the alliance with the despised Heenan solidified Rude as a classic wrestling villain. Remember this line, of course. What I like to have right now is for all of you fat, out of shape. Winnipeg sweat hogs to keep the noise Son down while bitch. I take my robe off and show all the ladies what a real man is supposed to look like. I used to love you. that, but I also I'm used to despise it. You on it. <laughs> oh, You're actually God. on the other side. Of oh, it. no. I, I'm on the cheeks and I'm scared. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I don't want to know what side I'm on here. But if you recall, <laughs> Corey, during these crowd participation moments, there was a young lady who adamantly declined on multiple occasions. It was soon revealed this woman was, in fact, the wife of Jake the Snake Roberts. I remember her name was Cheryl. I remember like it was yesterday. I'm here to see my husband, Rude, and Heenan would joke basically about it until she proclaimed and revealed that it was Jake the Snake Roberts. Then Rude would go on to insult Jake and Cheryl, and that's where she had enough, uh, slapped him. And then Rude would grab her by the wrist, which led to Jake running out. He had a towel as well, too. It seemed very realistic that he was, you know, super upset because he was not even really dressed in full ring gear. And, you know, he'd come out to her rescue and they would be stomping on him. But I love this moment. And to be completely honest, this was one of my favorite feuds of the 1980s. It always stood out to me as incredibly memorable. What were your thoughts at the time? I mean, of course, we were super young, but watching it years later. Uh, to me, this is this is the Rick Rude feud. This is mm -hmm. what I would remember him for the most, for sure. And I guess back then, the you know the feuds were long lasting, yeah. so it it really took a part of your career. This is the whole. This is what you were doing. This is what you're going to be remembered for. And uh, this was again le just legendary. Even when I just think back to wrestling whatsoever as a kid, this was like this was a bold 
bold fight I'll never forget. And you know what I love about it? You touched on this. It might be a six, eight-month, 12-month build, and guess, of course, where it would all come together. WrestleMania. It all made sense, uh, right? I love that. Rather than well just designed. have, yeah, r- rather than just have a blow off on a pay per view, or you know, just keep having matches back and forth. What I used to love back in the day is that they would come together, they'd fall apart, come together, and they would really do a great job of stretching this out through promos and not always necessarily physically being in the ring together week after week. Actually, rarely being in the ring together, yeah. which is what's missing now, right? You got. Uh... You don't you you are begging to see these guys in the ring together for like four months. Yeah. Then finally it happens instead of the contract signing and like interrupting everyone's match every week and you know and fighting each other the night before and the night after. It's yeah. Back then the the buildup was real. It was. Well, I mean, you've been involved in acting, directing, writing. It's a pure Hitchcock tactic where you play the audience like a piano, you build anticipation. That's what you're supposed to do, build the suspense. Exactly. There's no no anticipation in the bang or whatever. The, whatever Hitchcock said, it's in the it's in the apprehension and the <laughs> anticipation. It is true. Paraphrasing. So of course we go from that moment, and as a way of response or revenge, Rick Root started coming out to the ring with an image of Cheryl on his wrestling tights. As you can imagine, if you're Jake, you're pretty pissed off about this. So. You know, Roberts, of course, <laughs> yeah. would run out, dash out from the dressing room to attack Rude to a massive ovation, and he stripped Rude of his attire. Look out, ladies. And then the two would also clash in some very good matches on some larger shows during this period. Of course, the most famous one, their contest at WrestleMania Four, And it was during the title tournament. Of course, that's somewhat overlooked. But their match on an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event is also worth a watch, too. And the genuine hatred for Rude, coupled with Jake Roberts' excellent in-ring psychology. I cannot appraise it enough because there's no wasted movement from him. In interviews... If, you, if, you're, if, you're, talk, if you're talking about in-ring psychology, though, like if you want to actually uh, mess with someone's brain, yes, Jake was the champ at that, but if you're wearing his wife on your pants, you've, you've, you've got an equal match there. That is, a, that is, a, that is intelligent uh, design. That is, that is messing with your opponent. Absolutely. I mean, it's great to see them going back and forth with that. But again, it was very traditional. You have to have somebody that is hated, and they're goading them in. And then Jake Roberts, of course, has to be that hero. And this was actually far before he became really that villainous Jake the Snake, who is sleazy and taking shortcuts. But I love this version of him. And really, of course, the interviews between the two made for some really hot crowds back in the 80s. And However, the weird thing about this feud is that it kind of petered out as Roberts pinned Rick Rude at the 1988 Survivor Series, and then Rude would go on to other things, namely the Intercontinental Champion, again, another prominent feud in Rick Rude's career, the holder at the time, the Ultimate Warrior. Rick Rude and the Dingo Warrior going at it. <laughs> Which I actually think they did in Florida when he, when he was Dingo Warrior. I think they had a little history there. What a terrible name, the Dingo Warrior. Oh, it's like, I what does that, that mean? From yeah, Melbourne, Australia. Dingo Warrior. From Melbourne, oh, Australia. It's like, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Like, what is this? Why the Dingo Warrior? <laughs> oh, God, we need to bring that gimmick back for sure. Oh, no. It's tra- probably trademarked by Dana Warrior and the Warrior family and all the Warriors of the Warriors. I wonder if you can get a Dingo Warrior action figure made somehow. That'd be really, really awesome. We can ask uh, the hosts of the Major Wrestling Figure podcast. They're all obsessed with the LGNs and and all of those as well, too. I'm not sure they'll ever respond to us or appear on the show, but they would know the truth behind that. 
We should get action figures, you and Sarka. <laughs> they, mine would be so long in the legs. I have the gazelle legs. They'd be like, this is not proportionate to the body. And I'd say, my doctor says it's normal. <laughs> Tell me more. Okay. Anyways, moving on here. Uh, we're going to the rivalry with the Ultimate Warrior. Oh, yeah, the Ultimate Warrior for the heavens. You, I could count on you for that. All right. One of Rick's most notable rivalries was against the Ultimate Warrior. The Warrior Rude series is an excellent example of this uh, for a slow, steady build while displaying just how talented Rick Rude mm. was in the ring. At the 89 Royal Rumble, Rude faced the Warrior in a superposed down <laughs> that was really stupid, uh, hosted by Jesse Ventura. As Rude and Warrior flexed away, uh, and people paid money for this, uh, the crowd loudly booed the ravishing one and cheered the Warriors' every movement. Shocking. Mm. Uh, eventually, Rude lost his temper at this and attacked the Warrior, leading to a match at WrestleMania Five. Ah, uh, the infamous pose downs, right? Like, how could anybody even beat the Ultimate Warrior at that point? He is a genetic freak, not to steal that from Scott Steiner, that probably has so many... <laughs> like just every chemical in his body flowing through his veins at that point too. And why would anyone? Why would a heel sign on against a babyface for something where uh, the the contest is decided by the crowd cheering? Yeah, it's not bizarre. your best move, there, rude. Yeah, the same thing happened with Triple H and Scott Steiner, and it was the exact same psychology of like, <laughs> how did anybody? How did any writer believe this made a lick of sense? It doesn't. <laughs> There's a lot of no uh, licks of sense happening uh, throughout this career, as we'll get to. But uh, we'll get to that uh, shortly. We will. Uh, in a decent contest, Rick picked up his first and only singles title in the WWF when Bobby Heenan held the Warriors' legs after a suplex attempt, allowing his charge to steal the win at, and the championship. Uh, while this was a good showing from the pair, the rematch that followed at SummerSlam 89 displayed Rude at his best. I would agree with that, too. I, I felt as though, and we know this, it's a common fact, the Ultimate Warrior was very limited in the ring, but there were some opponents that brought out the best in him, and I think that Rick Rude was certainly one of the top contenders there. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Charisma is, was the was the great equalizer. It would If he had Charisma to work off of, he would try to out-Charisma them and... You know, it brings a lot of good out of him. Exactly. Uh, the, the Ultimate Warrior, as charismatic and popular as he was with fans at the time, is known for being somewhat limited in the ring. His matches with Hogan and Randy Savage at the next two WrestleManias after this are probably career highlights. Mm -hmm. We both agree. Yeah. In a very average body of work. Well, we're really nailing into the Dingo Warrior Ooh, here. Oh, boy. How about his match Sorry, at, uh, what was it, WrestleMania 12 versus Triple H? Doesn't he no-sell the pedigree? Yeah, what about, what about that match? That was great. It was a classic. <laughs> A lot of no. I think he was no selling the uh, whatever they were spraying on him in that in the in that pose off too. He didn't realize <laughs> that was supposed to hurt him. They're spraying some stuff in his eyes or whatever. He didn't he didn't realize that that was supposed to be bad. This doesn't hurt uh, me at all. He's got the gods watching over him. It's all good. Uh, however, his mid card battle here with Rude is just incredible, mainly due to Rick Rude's work ethic and ability. Mm -hmm. The contest is an excellent watch, even today, some three decades later. I would agree the with Ultimate that. Warriors, you would, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm with you, article. Um, the Ultimate Warriors' popularity at the time, coupled with Rude's ability to be genuinely hated, this title contest was as hot with those in attendance as it was for the main event involving Hulk Hogan, uh, which I think was Hulk Hogan and Zeus and someone else and someone else. I liked I liked when Zeus would show up. <laughs> any anyhow, uh, it is truly a masterclass from Rude, 
as he carries the limited warrior to a mini classic before dropping the title back to his face painted nemesis with assistance in the form of a distraction from Roddy Piper that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I mean, do you remember this? He he fights this whole match. Imagine preparing for a match and working out and like understanding the psychology of your opponent and yeah. losing to a guy mooning you. Piper mooned him from the side, and that was so involving and distracting and just mind-boggling to him that he climbed up on the turnbuckle and got got defeated right after that. My eyes, a Brazilian wax. My eyes, why? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Piper was wearing stuff under there, too. So, if anything, he was wearing yeah. more clothing. He was wearing extra clothing. Oh, well, that, that was bizarre. And by the way, SummerSlam 1989 is not on some of the recommended hits that we discussed. No. Because it was by no means a great card, even on paper. But no. I would say that this was easily the most memorable moment on that card. And, and perhaps even Ultimate Warrior's best match. Maybe outside of Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. Really, you have to put Rick Root at the very least in the top three in this match in the top three, I would say. I, I definitely, definitely would. But again, we've we've done the hard stuff. You don't have to go back and watch this. We've, we've done it for you. We've We're suffered for you. Absolutely. And yeah. of course, thankfully, Ring Rude, quite the ring general. So that's how he was able to t- take charge and essentially say, hey, kid. Follow me. I know that you are the chosen one, but follow me. I'll lead you to a great match. Very similar, of course, to Perfect and Brett and many others of that era, too. He's he's a really smart guy, which you actually pick up on in interviews. Maybe not something you automatically think about him, but in interviews, when he's allowed to talk, he he comes across really intelligent. I think so, too, yeah. And it's a shame because really when you look back at his WWF run, I thought that it was, in hindsight... Lackluster compared to what his potential offered. I mean, of course, there's the big debate that he could could have been a world champion. I do agree with that. He could have been a multi-time intercontinental champion. I agree with that. But how did we not get Rick Rude and Hulk Hogan in a main event? He is tailor-made for a Hulk Hogan. And I know at the time they were going with the big monsters for Hulk to overcome. But Rick, my God, he was perfect for him. He could match the charisma, the mic skills, the psychology, all of it. There's uh, there's a lot to unpack there. I know I know Hulk Hogan thought he was a little he was nuts. He didn't want to work with them. Yeah. He referred to him as the Tasmanian Devil, I think, at one point. Because uh, I mean, we're we're there's a lot of glowing things we're saying about Rick Rude here, but there's uh, he had a temper. Heard, uh, he had a temper. There's another side to that. Some crazy sides. Some yeah, bad. we've heard that. And he, he uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll bring it up, but his love of guns yeah. as well too. If you love don't agree guns. with me, I'll bring out my gun. There's something about him planting uh, his girlfriend in bars waiting for guys to try to pick them up or his wife in bars and waiting for guys to try to pick pick her up. Really? Just so he would and, uh, fight them? Just fighting them and waiting waiting for that opportunity to go. Yeah. Bizarre. That's and, a little off, I would say. That, that is off. Like, it's something from a... little a, off. I, I need some first-hand golly. accounts because I would say that's not right at all. And also, keep in mind, this isn't even mentioned in the article. He was like an arm wrestling mm. champion as well, too. It's like over the top. Maybe was. it was based on his life with Sylvester Stallone <laughs> doing some method acting, saying, "I need to learn. I need to learn from Rick Rude." You know, you know who is playing Rick Rude? Do you watch Better Call Saul? Uh, I do. Yes, which is a great series, by the way, and a great extension of Breaking Bad. I agree. Well, I'm pretty sure he was uh, he was the villain this year, uh, La- Laszlo, Lalo, hmm. Lalo, whatever. He he's playing Rick Rude. I'm pretty sure. Method Charming. actor. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's watching WrestleMania uh, 1989, and he's saying, how do I parlay that? 
into Better Call Saul. <laughs> exactly. What you know? What villain we need after Gus? We need uh, Rick Rude. I'm okay with that. Uh, all right. So where were we? Okay. This led to Rude and Roddy Piper after the epic mooning. Uh, it led to the two teams into that year Survivor Series. The wonderfully named Rude's Brood triumphed over <laughs> Roddy's Rowdies. God, that's so horrible. Both team captains getting counted out during the match. Yeah. Oh God. Sometimes, sometimes I, I read this and I just wonder what are we talking about? Here? I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> uh, sure. But this contest uh, also furthered the aura of fellow Minnesota native Mr. Perfect mm. Kurt Henning as he adopted an athletic arrogant persona not too dissimilar to rudes which is really my favorite type of persona the, the cocky sean michaels yes. mr perfect rick rude those are my favorite gimmicks always i like them too um, because they're easy to hate but at the same time exactly. there are those elements of truth to it because you think i hate you but you're so damn good too exactly and those that character always pulls out like this charm uh in there somewhere this genuine charm like mm-hmm. kurt hennig had, had genuine Shawn michaels you know you get these these moments of like almost uh, innocence throughout the that would intrude from from the hardened character and uh, always always makes for the most interesting character for sure uh whereas the fairly new perfect character raised through the card quickly rude seemed to tread water for a while mm-hmm. kurt hennig would be uh working on a house show loop with hogan while rick was still in the upper mid card never really getting the big paydays of a main event run with the hulkster disappointing as we just discussed yeah uh as wrestlemania season came around again in 1990 rick rude would be working with jimmy snuka defeating the superfly relatively quickly was not in hindsight the most relevant moment that day for rude's career mm-hmm. In the main event, Hulk Hogan dropped the WWF championship to Rude's old adversary, the Ultimate Warrior. And the new champion needed a worthy rival to solidify his ascension to the top of the mountain. Enter Rick Rude. All of a sudden, what's old is new again. Exactly. At SummerSlam 90, 1990, Rude and the Warrior clashed again, but this time in a steel cage. Ultimately, after a relatively short title contest, the Warrior stood victorious again. Sadly, not long after this, Rude was gone from the WWF. Mm. Rude, <laughs> Rude found himself battling the big boss man. The reason for this rivalry was Heenan and Rude insulting the boss man's mother. Don't you dare. Family comes in a lot, eh? Did, were there boss man mother pets? Do you remember? Uh, this is just source material, though, too. And I don't think there was. But at the same time, <laughs> could you imagine the boss man coming out with a nightstick? Take your mother up, <laughs> boom! Oh my God! I want Bossman mother pants. No, I, don't. <laughs> I don't at all. Oh God! Uh, Halloween costume co- incoming. <laughs> deep cut. Uh, and this same reason was given for Rude's suspension just before Survivor Series 1990. Again, this garnered much heat from the audience as Rude's comments drew much opposition. However, in reality, Rude was at odds with WWF owner Vince McMahon over money. According to Bret Hart in his autobiography, Hitman, My Real Life in the Cartoon World of Wrestling, Rude was furious after finding out how much Warrior was paid for SummerSlam compared to what he got for carrying their entire match. Mm. Uh, And he was no longer employed by the WWF. I'm I'm sure you've probably heard of backstage beat-ups by uh, Rick Rude on the the Warrior at at, uh, certain points in his career. Yeah, like those, those two I don't think genuinely got along whatsoever. And I could be, I can understand being in his shoes because the same thing happened, by the way, to Chris Jericho and Triple H at WrestleMania 18. I just heard the story recently yes. on Talk yeah. is Jericho, where all of a sudden, uh, I think 
like uh, Triple H got like four fifths of the pie, and Chris Jericho got one fifth of the pie, and he's saying that doesn't make any sense. Vince Saad is making sense because of the babyface getting paid way more, but at the same time, he got an extra check because JR went to bat for him. So I totally get it right. as well too. Whether you're a bad guy, good guy, you still deserve to be paid. Yeah, that just that just sounds like Vince is asking for trouble. Really, it's demanding that these two get jealous of each other and fight each other backstage, and fairly rude, really beat the. Beat the dingo out of them at uh, some point. Well, back a, there. a question for you as well, too. Why would you ever allow, and even though he could be a bit of a head case, I mean, maybe at the time, we don't know for sure. Why would you ever allow a quality talent such as Rude to leave? He could literally work with any baby face and make them look terrific, as seen with the Ultimate Warrior, while generating tons of heat. That That's not yeah. a commonality. Yeah, they F, they F that up a couple times, don't they, Chris? Hmm. And it, plus, he's keeping their tailors in in uh, in business there. Like, <laughs> keep the guy over there. But yeah, there's a couple times they let him go, uh, and it backfires a little bit. So Rick Rude signs with WCW. Naturally, so I mean, he's not going to be on the market for long without a company to belong to. And this was after his WWF departure. So after parting ways with Vince McMahon, Rick Rude. He went to various promotions. He appeared briefly in All Japan Pro Wrestling before signing with Ted Turner's WCW promotion for some good old wrestling, as Ted Turner would say. So Rude's return would take place under a mask, which is so bizarre, by the way. Halloween Havoc 1991, he would beat Z-Man, Tom Zeke, uh, before unmasking and joining Paul Heyman as uh, a member of the Dangerous Alliance stable. Corey, you know I'm a big Paul Heyman fan. We've talked about this several times on air, off air. This was collectively one of the most underappreciated stables of all time. You had Rick Rude at the forefront, Paulie dangerously as the leader and manager. You had Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time, smooth as silk. You had Larry Zabisco, Medusa, who I know for sure we're going to be covering at some point, director of covert operations, the valet, and acting as the future, stunning Steve Austin, my God, and of course, in typical WCW fashion, they managed to screw up this stable. They did. Uh, you know, it's a, it's kind of like an updated Four Horsemen, less flash, but uh, just what is that? Six, seven of the best best people in the business at that time. Oh, that's money right there. That's exactly like Dusty Rhodes. Where's the money, baby? That's money right there. <laughs> kind of a launching pad, not a launching pad, but a. A little booster for Steve Austin at that time, oh, too, for getting sure. into a big stable like that. Did you ever hear the stories, by the way, too? Paul Heyman, of course, he famously talked about it on Steve Austin's podcast on the WWE Network. But Steve would often ride with Rick Rude and Paul Heyman. And Rick Rude would teach Steve Austin a lot. And I, I remember on a podcast together, Steve really cared about earning Rick's respect. And Paul said, uh, no, he really respected you. He'd watch you at the curtain. And he saw a bright future in you. And that meant a lot to Steve because Rick was a man's man. And as part of the alliance, Rude would defeat Sting in controversial circumstances to claim the WCW United States title. And then he would go on to battle Ricky Steamboat. Again, he's an individual that also had a very overlooked run in WCW in the 90s, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I I actually think, I mean, Steamboat's section in WCW is real great, but... I think Rick Rude's best years were actually in WCW, to be honest. I, I would agree 100%. And it's weird, though, because in the 90s, you look back at 1993 WCW, 92 WCW, and they really lacked direction and, of course, production values. I thought it was piss poor, to be completely honest with you. 
but it more and as than, a kid, the production value matters a lot. It does. The big flashy stuff, right? It's the pomp and circumstance, the the bells oh, and whistles. But you know what, though, in terms of match quality, I would argue at that point in time, WCW was actually beating WWF. Without a doubt, honestly, all the Rick Rude matches are are like like the Steamboat Rick Rude match. Amazing. Uh, the uh, the uh, Iron Man is just might be the best Iron Man I've ever seen. Wow. That, that's a heap of praise there, right? I mean, it's really, really, really good. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. Super Brawl Two. And- that, Super Brawl Two is a great example of Steamboat and Rude at their finest in the '90s. Yeah, absolutely. So his character, of course, was built upon nasty behavior. We've been used to that, but he could back up his actions between the ropes. And WCW faithful prayed for the day Rude would lose his United States Championship. So he was regularly battling the equally talented Steamboat and also the powerful Nikita Kolov. Rude would escape with the championship time after time, and it was during this period in 1992. Rick Rude was arguably at his peak as an in-ring competitor, Mm. as we also alluded to. And WCW also used Rude against their world champion on occasions, who was Ron Simmons at the time. So uh, a few matches that really stood out during Rude's WCW run first of course, would be Rude's role in the incredible War Games match at WrestleWar. I, I really think that match cannot be understated in terms of the quality of that. I loved it. And the second took place about a month later, as you noted, the 30-minute Iron Man match with regular challenger Ricky Steamboat. If you have not seen it, it took place at Beach Blast 1992. If you have a bad match against Ricky Steamboat, in my opinion, you, didn't, you do not even belong in the business. That guy is smooth as silk. He's about as good as they come in the ring, bell to bell. So if you screw up in there with him, you might as well go find a new profession. But they're equal parts in this match. Of course. Just both killing it. And I also maintain this might be arguably the greatest War Games match of all time. You had Sting's squadron. You had Sting, Nikita Kolov, Dustin Rose, the natural, who is still competing. It's amazing that I believe he's 50, 51 years old, still going. Ricky Steamboat, Barry Windham. Also overlooked, defeating the Dangerous Alliance, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eden, Larry Zabisco, Steve Austin, and Rick Rude. That's a lot of talent in there. That's a great, super fun match. I still don't know if that ring was supposed to come apart or if that was, <laughs> you know, what do you, what do you think? Was that was that part of it? or You never, you don't see that you, where the, the ring falls apart and Zabisco is trying to fix it or someone's trying to fix it. Probably you know, not by design. I think probably not by design, only because I but don't they use it. Yeah, I don't necessarily believe that they had the special effects team in WCW that they had in <laughs> WWF. Right? Release the ring, make it fall apart. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But they they use it. They use it. That it becomes part of the storyline. It's hey. a great, 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 great match. And that was a precursor with those uh, special effects team. If you saw what happened with the Ultimate Warrior and the trap door, and that's how the British Bulldog got injured and a whole bunch of other people. It's like, well, what is the stupid thing here? Like, <laughs> We used to have way better teams at WWF. They knew what they were doing. Fully competent individuals, <laughs> right? Not always, but we don't want to get into that too much. Um, yeah. Uh, sadly, Rick Rude would pick up a neck injury towards the end of this year and have to forfeit the title. Mm. Uh, during Rude's return, however, he had excellent matches against new champion Dustin Rhodes in an attempt to regain the championship he never lost. At Beach Blast 93, Rude faced Rhodes in another 30-minute Ironman match. While this was not quite the standard of the Steamboat Classic 12 months before, it is still a very good contest. Mm-hmm. 
Rick Rude then sets his sights upon the NWA title, later known as the WCW International title. Terrible name. Uh, yeah. Uh, this was held by Flair at the time, and at this point in his career was, in fact, a fan favorite. Yet seeing two of the greatest wrestling villains of all time square off at Fall Brawl in the September of 1993 is very enjoyable. Rude would claim the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship. Doesn't really roll Rude off the tongue that well, does it? <laughs> Interna- international World Heavyweight Championship. That barely makes any sense. Uh, it, it doesn't. And like even international. It's like how international was WCW at that point in time? Of course, they did have a relationship <laughs> yeah. with Japan. But it's not like we're going to Greenland to defend the International World Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> I wonder how many major international bouts Greenland is, uh, has hosted. Probably not very many. I can't imagine any at all. I don't even know if anybody's ever competed there wrestling-wise. I'm sure they have. There's no true international title then. (laughs) Over to Reykjavik to defend in Iceland. (laughs) All right. Rude lost to Hiroshi Asi on March 16th, 1994 in Tokyo, Japan, but then regained the title just eight days later. Hmm. This then led to Rick Rude's final series of matches as a full-time performer, defending his international championship against Sting, at Spring Stampede 94, Sting was victorious in yet another fine showing from Rude before Rude won the former NWA championship back in another contest in Japan. This would mark the end for ravishing Rick Rude's in-ring career. Now, it's funny, Corey, because a lot of people tend to believe Rick Rude has never won a World Heavyweight Championship. That actually proves that he has, just not in WWF, where, of course, his career was more closely associated with. But this, as you noted, and I would wholeheartedly agree this was the best work of his entire career best work of his entire career but i think he is one of those guys that there's just those guys that you don't need the championship that's no. why you just don't remember it no He's just him same with are same the, with roddy and same with so many others exactly and i think that's even even though he had it, it you didn't he didn't need it so you don't remember it by that and plus his uh his big feud wwf feuds were so large and popular but that's just that's where you, that's where you go to obviously when you think about him. Overshadowed this, and he actually held the international world heavyweight championship for a combined near two hundred days. So it wasn't something that was fly by night. Of course, he had multiple yeah. reigns, but it was fairly reputable. Absolutely, he was he was, he was big time in WCW, and again, the, the best part of his career. And then uh, during this, and then it comes crashing down, Corey. Yeah, as they all do. Uh, during his title win over Sting at WCW Spring Stampede 94, Rude caught his back on the edge of the raised entrance Ugh. ramp. WCW and Japanese promotions were using at the time. I hate that ramp, a- by the, the way. AW2, right? Yeah. yeah, I don't like the ramp. <laughs> uh, Rick finished the contest, but also uh, finished as an in-ring performer. This back injury would force Rick Rude into retirement at just 35 years of age, Ooh. which seems ridiculous. Though. Yeah, that's very young. Yikes. Uh, as a result of the injury, Rude had no choice but to forfeit his title. In storyline, Rude was found to be cheating by using his championship as a weapon. No longer able to wrestle, Rude was able to collect on a Lloyd's of London insurance policy to pay for his expenses. After a few years away from the cameras, Rick Rude would resurface in ECW in 1997 before joining back up with the WWF to be part of the original incarnation of Degeneration X. Left following the Montreal screw job. Lloyd's and of now London. A word from our sponsor, Lloyd's of London. <laughs> Lloyd's of London is very interesting. I remember back in the day hearing about this, morbidly curious. And Eric Bischoff actually had a great explanation of this on an episode of 83 Weeks. He said the following Lloyd's of London used to write policies for professional wrestlers 
as they were expensive policies, but if you were able to become disabled, like as if it was a choice, right? <laughs> Be able to become disabled. <laughs> uh, as a result of your work in the ring, you would get a sizable payoff. So in Rick's case, I believe it was $350,000, $450,000 payoff, somewhere in that area. But once you took that check, you could not wrestle again. So basically, that's it for your career. And getting that check means that you were permanently disabled, at least in their eyes. So you had to get a doctor to examine you and then side off on the affidavit. And then saying that due to your injuries, you were no longer able to compete. And that was the end of your career. And this would trigger a payout from Lloyd's of London. If I recall correctly off the top of my head, I believe Ted DiBiase and Kurt Henning also got a payout for this. But at the same time, if Kurt Henning got a payout for this back in, say, like 95, 96, or even earlier than that, he wrestled again in WCW. So I'm not sure how that came to fruition either. Yeah. I don't know if you want to pay pay money back to be wrestling. Uh, I don't know. And then not for them. I can't I can't wrestle again uh, either. Is that still available? Is that an option for me? I think it's off the table, unfortunately, but you may need to look into that. All right. All right. All right. So Rick Rude also appeared on WWF, WCW, and ECW television on the very same night. So you just want to one up. You want to one up Brian Pillman here. Yeah, I was going to say back to back episodes where we're talking about these three companies competing against each other. So Rick Rude and Bret Hart were close friends off camera, and Rude could be seen visibly upset after Vince McMahon's screw job over Bret Hart for the WWF title. At Survivor Series, it should be noted, by the way, that Rude was in the locker room the entire time with Brett, and he had his back, a very loyal friend. And actually, he was so upset that he ended up calling Eric Bischoff. He told him everything that happened, and he wanted out of WWF as soon as possible. And according to Bret Hart in his autobiography, highly recommended, by the way, I have it signed sitting in the background, a lot of wrestlers were disgusted by what Vince had done in Montreal, but Rick Rude was actually one of the few who quit the WWF over this so his actions spoke a lot louder than words right mm-hmm. loyal guy he was and as rick rude didn't have a guaranteed contract with the wwf at the time there was nothing keeping him from leaving the company so the very next night after survivor series rick rude showed up on a tv taping as if nothing happened but rude knew the episode of raw was going to air a week later and this would be his final appearance for wwf then a week later of course november 17th 1997 it was on monday nitro rick rude made his return minus the beard sporting his usual mustache and he cut a scathing promo against wwf vince mcmahon Shawn michaels and the montreal screwjob in general he talked about how the wwf was a sinking ship as fans watching across the united states were completely perplexed as it had been featured on a WWF pay-per-view just the night before. So really, really bizarre. I remember this. I remember watching it. And again, we did not have the luxury of the internet the same way we do now. And it was mind-boggling to me that this was actually happening. We had the luxury of confusion. That's basically exactly what we had. Because it basically was an hour later, he appeared on Monday Night Raw. And again, it was taped before on November 10th. That's where he's sporting the beard. So you're thinking, okay, this doesn't make sense whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, that that is absurd. It's just absolutely bizarre. And then beyond that, though, too, it gets better, Corey. To make matters even Mm. more interesting, for many across the U.S., Rick Rude was seen on three different television shows on the same night, as I noted, because he was obligated to do work with ECW on an episode of Hardcore TV that aired later that night, featuring Rude on commentary. That's insane. (laughs) He was on all three shows. Yeah, that's 
only time, right? That's the only time ever, I'd assume. There can't be another time, right? I mean, you couldn't even try to do that. That's no. Just not even... <laughs> But, I mean, it's changing the game after that. You think about this, and recently we've covered these historic events. We thought about uh, Lex Luger, Brian Pillman, Rick Rude. When you really think about it, them jumping ship or appearing on other shows really changed the course of where the industry was going with guaranteed contracts. Of course, yeah. There's, uh, I mean, and also I think it, it really uh, proved that there would be fallout to the, to the screw job that maybe that was unforeseen. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe maybe they saw that there were consequences to these actions. Um, you even see, um, I mentioned this before, but in the Bret, Bret Hart DVD outtakes, I don't know why it's not in the documentary, but Bret Hart actually cries about the death death of uh, Rick Rude. He doesn't cry about anybody else's. You know, there's lots of people he lost, but Rick Rude, his devotion here, just like just was meant the world to him. I think, and I mean, to go so far as to do this ridiculous, insane action. Uh, says a lot. It definitely does. And Rick Rude, of course, would leave WCW again in March of 1999 after recovering from a cancer scare. I believe at the time he was actually trying to work towards an in-ring comeback, even though he cashed out with Lloyds of London. Yeah, I, I find it very confusing. Yeah, the no policy cash that out seriously. No, most are saying it's optional, and meanwhile, with Lloyds of London, they're saying you are permanently disabled in our minds. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's kind of fair on their part. They're doling out the money, but uh, unfortunately, we don't get there. Mm. Because uh, on April 20th, 1999, Richard Irwin Rude passed away. <clears throat> he was just 40 years old and left behind a wife and three young children. According to his autopsy report, he died in a bed at his home in Fulton County, Georgia, of a drug overdose. Medical officials said included Valium. And gamma hydroxyblablablabla, uh, the so-called date rape drug used by athletes to quicken their recovery from weightlifting sessions. At the time of his death, Rude was training for a return to the ring. Mm -hmm. uh, for the, those who knew him, he is remembered uh, most for being the opposite of the arrogant womanizer seen on screen. A devout Christian man, family man, and refused to take his wedding ring off during matches and said he would wear tape on his finger. He did. It's weird to go back and to actually see that, especially as a heel at the time. But again, it shows his commitment to his wife and his family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, after his death, a number of wrestlers spoke out about the kind of person Rick Rude was. His close friend Bret Hart spoke at length about him to the press in the days following his death and even wrote about how much Rude had meant to him in his autobiography. <clears throat> Hart wrote... Rick Rude was anything but rude. In any circle of friends and phonies, you take the good with the bad, and the bad makes you appreciate the good even more. At the height of my road days, when 300 flights and 300 towns a year was normal, strangers became family and family became strangers. You can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. Rick Rude was one of the best picks I ever made. Mm. He was a great family man. He loved his wife. He was one of those kind of guys who never took his wedding ring off. He put a white piece of tape around it when he went into the ring. He was the kind of guy that when you needed someone to back you up, he wouldn't flinch at all, obviously. Uh, not for money, not for anything, not for Lloyds of London. When McMahon and his sidearm barged into my dressing room in Montreal, Rick was there. Uh, he was one of the guys who refused to budge, refused to allow me to be put in a compromising position. Rick Rude stayed there to make sure my back was watched. Many others, including Rick Martel and Jacques Rougeau, sang the praises for Rick Rude, saying he was a wonderful and fun guy to have around in the locker room, and also someone you didn't want to mess with because he could hand out a beating. Ooh, he was legit, that's for sure. <laughs> Very legit. Kind of scary, to tell you the truth, yeah, but he was. Uh, obviously well-respected and sweet when it mattered. 
sadly, Rick's son, Colton Rude, passed away in 2016 as well. He was killed in a horrific motorcycle accident on September 3rd in Georgia. He was only 19 years old. That's horrible. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying to lose a son at 19 is simply awful since this was an individual carrying out Rick's legacy. And I know we've discussed this personally, but there is a backstage interview in WCW. It's something that it was never aired on television. You can find it on YouTube, though, where the interviewer, who I believe was super unprofessional, by the way, he catches Kurt Henning off guard with a question about his recently deceased friend. And you can see the pain in Kurt's eyes. Like going back and watching it to this day, and I've told you I've watched it probably a dozen times, it guts me. Because here's what he says. This is a direct quote from it. You know what really burns my ass? People that live in that Atlanta area, the people that Rick Rude made a lot of money for, the people who knew Rick Rude and didn't show up to his funeral. Wrestling lost one of its best athletes, moneymakers, and I lost my best friend. Even saying that gets me a little choked up because you know that a couple years later, uh, Mr. Perfect's no longer with us. And those were two just incredibly memorable performers. And God, I wish they were here with us. Absolutely. Like, how, how do they go so fast after each other? I don't know. Just like, it just, it almost just seems like, you know, now apropos. Like, it's, like, like, it's yeah, sad, exactly. but it is kind of apropos that these two were as close as it gets. And you, you have to feel for those. Like, again, Bret Hart speaks very fondly about the two, but losing those two, I mean, those were leaders in the locker room, veterans. They were not pushovers by any sense of the imagination. And now at this point in history, it's kind of, it feels like just a big pile on. Like, of course, yeah, of course, you're gone too, you're gone too, you're gone too. Like, it, is, it just, it's par for the course. It's like, but, it, uh, but it's certainly not a profession where you commonly are 85, 90 years old and you retire peacefully. And yeah, the aches, the pains, it's just tough to see. Yeah, it's just something we accept now is this is what this is what happens. It's but. the norm, unfortunately. But there was some good news though, ravishing Rick Rude, and of course this was expected and deservingly so. He joined the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2017. And again, this was also apropos too that Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was the person mm. that introduced him and it made a lot of sense. Now, for some, it was funny. I had some friends who were actually asking me, why was it him? And that's where I actually had to steer them towards their matches in WCW. And then they realized, oh, okay, this was a perfect choice. And and ideally he was. So really blessed with the personality to carry out any angle or storyline and the in-ring ability to carry any match. Rick Rude was truly one of the greats of his time. And the contest that we discussed really truly displayed his capability as a performer. And it should be included of any best of conversation, I believe, when it comes to heels in the history of the business, at least in my eyes. Of course, there's there were fewer back then, uh, so the the cream was there, rising to the top, and uh, he was the, he was the guy, one of one of the guys, one of the very few the guys. So I'm going to throw I'm going to throw out a couple final thoughts for you in terms of questions. Would love to get yeah. your opinion on this. So uh, where do you place Rick on a list of the greatest heels of all time? Of course, when we have Roddy Piper and we have Mister Perfect and countless others as well. I, I I mean I don't have an official list uh, in front of me. Uh, he, you know he hover, he hovers around there, almost more more recognized for these these two particular feuds uh, ever uh, than the rest of his career. But those are some of the biggest feuds in wrestling history, really, or at least in my memory. So you got to be up there. That means you're two of the you're in, you're the main bad guy in two of the biggest feuds ever. So high high up there. How about yourself? 
I, I would place him for sure in the top five, like at least off the top of my head, Roddy Piper, Mr. Perfect, and a few others. But I thought that he was just such a definitive heel character. You hated him. You respected him. But that's exactly what it should be. There was no I'm scared, gray I'm area. Scared to jump in the, I'm scared to jump in the top five uh, uh, category right now. I got I to put a little more thought into that. But. Off the top of my head, I would probably say top five, <laughs> but I would have to go back oh. and fill it out for sure. But uh, also, yeah. when it comes to not making him WWF world champion, do you feel that was a poor decision? Because there could have been a lot of money with a babyface chasing him as well. Yeah, I mean, as we said before, didn't need it. They had their guys and really there were there were few heels that became champion in those years at that time there were very few um but again didn't need it we don't remember him for his wcw title run he was no. great for making feuds with guys that weren't champion and other than uh seeing a sweet pair of linda balea pants uh the hulk hogan feud we didn't need that i think he i think he did he worked he did what he needed to do you mean that he's not going to be introduced as WCW International World Heavyweight Champion, <laughs> Rick Rude? Yeah, probably not. And That's uh, how I'm going to remember him forever. <laughs> Final question. I have a name I'll throw out there. Who in the current landscape could potentially fill his very big shoes? Because, I mean, you have individuals such as an MJF, really reminiscent of a Roddy Piper, uh, not as much of the body of a Rick Rude, but really traditionally just wanted to be despised. And I like that. I was going to say MJF as well. That's that's clearly the guy. He's He's got a lot of potential and a lot of people wondering about him and seeing if he can rise to that spot. He already has for yeah. the few showcase uh, matches as he's had. He's People expect a lot out of this guy already. And even better, he's 24 years old. He has his entire life ahead of him to keep progressing, keep growing, keep maturing. He's only going to get better and hopefully he can Son fill the bitch. shoes of a yeah. Rick Rude, Roddy Piper, and those before him. Uh, I, the, the world is his uh, hateful oyster. <laughs> I think, I think uh, he'll be fun to watch. We'll see what happens. With all the nicks of shaving and all the hangnails, he'll be just fine. <laughs> this concludes yet another episode of the Pro Wrestling Stories podcast. As always, I sincerely hope that you join us for future episodes as we dive deep into the archives to bring you more of these articles to life in audio form. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you get them. We do not discriminate. You can also follow Pro Wrestling Stories on Facebook for new articles. Of course, some old ones as well, too. Some old favorites at Pro Wrestling Stories and on the Twitter at PWS underscore official. If you want to add your t-shirt collection, maybe Corey will finally get his pants on there, maybe. We'll see mm. on Pro I Wrestling. I never get them off. They're pretty tight. <laughs> Put them on there. Maybe he'll record a video. He'll sing that thing you do with it. So just stop by PWSTs.com. And again, as an exclusive for you. Yes, for you. We will take you, you sweat hog. <laughs> we will take an additional 10% off your order using the promo code podcast from Chris Toplack and Corey Rivard. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Yeah.